I was wondering if anyone could tell us, if anyone can remember what our theme verse this year is for Grace Assembly. <laughs> we heard somebody we heard somebody shout it out there. It's found in Zechariah chapter four with the latter half of the sixth verse. It says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. It's a powerful verse. We get the we get here the mind of Christ. when it comes to our relationship with Him, when it comes to serving Him and being a follower of Christ, we we see here that it is not by how hard that we try. It is not by how much effort and time that we put into things. And it is not by how powerful we think we are. Because even with all those things, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we will fail in our objectives to please Him. That rubs me the wrong way sometimes. I'm the kind of person that if I see something that I think I can do, I want to try to do it. I grit my teeth and I scrunch my face up, and if I try just hard enough, it's going to work out. I I applied that attitude to sports. I remember shooting baskets in my backyard one day. And I was pretty proud of myself. I thought I was progressing quite nicely. And so I thought I would try a shot that I hadn't tried before because I think I could make it this time. So I tried a couple of times, and both times it didn't go in. So it was that moment I made a solemn vow. I am not going to leave this court until I make it. That was a mistake. Because it ended up being a long night. At one point, I, gave, I got into a verbal argument with the basket because he obviously wasn't playing fair. At one point, it got physical where I decided to switch from basketball to football. And as I punted the basketball away from the basketball hoop. And then I would run over and get it and I would furiously stomp back because I'm going to make this shot. And I find that there were times that I would take that very same attitude in my walk with Christ. Where I would say, where I would say to myself, I know, Lord, that I have these qualities that are, that are wrong and defective, but I'm going to try really hard to get rid of them. I'm going to do all these things, and, and I'm going to do these things for you, God, and I'm going to go and do this, and I'm going to do that. And all the while, the Holy Spirit is tapping on my shoulder saying, It's not by your might, and it's not by your power, but it's by me. And we see this theme all throughout Scripture, is God reaching down to us in our paralyzed state, saying, I just want to help you. I just want to empower you so that you can do the job that you've been trying to do this whole time, what we're capable of doing. We see that Jesus was uh, emphasizing this very same point with his disciples. Right before he was about to leave and be crucified, in John 15, or 14, 15, and 16, he kept on saying to his apostles, Hey, I'm leaving, but that's okay. You don't have to freak out. 
I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And He's going to rest inside of you. And He's going to comfort you, guide you into all truth, guide your footsteps. And then He later on says in Acts chapter 1 and in Luke 24, Be careful that you don't go anywhere. Don't leave. But you're going to receive power from Me. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. What does that mean? Well, for those of you who don't know, this passage was originally written in Greek. And so the word power there, the Greek word for that is dunamis. This church has become familiar with that term in the past because it used to be the name of one of our groups here. But a lot of people take this term to make to seem to, to try to define it as this supernatural power when it simply means ability. Ability to do what? Power to do what? To be witnesses of Jesus Christ to all the world. What does it mean to be a witness of Jesus Christ? What does that look like to be a witness of Jesus Christ? Well, let's take a look at what Jesus said to his disciples and to his followers for three years while he was on this earth. He said, go to, go to other people, tell them about me, and make them followers of Christ. He also said, go, heal the sick, and cast out demons. Then he went and said, love God and love others. And also, he said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you must be a servant to all. What does Acts 1-8 mean? It means that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive the ability to be able to make Christ known both in miraculous ways and non-miraculous ways. You will both be able to heal the sick and cast out demons, and you will be able to show the love of Christ to somebody by serving them. Both are important. Both are connected. That is the heart and the mind of Christ, is that when He sent His Holy Spirit, it was for us to serve humanity and to serve Him in both of those ways. There's a commentator by the name of Lloyd Ogilvie. He was writing about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon all flesh. And the impact and the significance that makes for us today. He said this, The power of Pentecost is for people. What happened at Pentecost is for the paralysis of the world. The excitement and enthusiasm of the infilling of the Holy Spirit was to create a people through whom God, or through whom the Lord could continue His ministry of restoration and healing. A new age was born. Christ was alive in His people, and they were now equipped to do what He had done and the greater things He had promised, communicating His love and bringing people to Him. That's what, that's what being filled with the Holy Spirit means. That's what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
is we are not there to proclaim ourselves. We are not there to be a part of something great and grand and miraculous. All we are there for is for the continuation of Christ's ministry of restoration and healing. It's not something that is separate from the gospel. See, a lot of times we get this impression that, well, first you get saved, and then you take these baby steps over here, and then you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we sometimes see these as two separate events, which is true. But we, do, we forget sometimes that they're connected. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not something that is separate from the gospel. It is the gospel. It is a continuation of Christ's ministry. If we take a look at this quote from Ogilvy, we could be very intimidated by it. How we are supposed to go into all the world and basically be Christ to, him, to them? I don't know about you, but I'm a pretty flawed human being. So the fact that I have to be Christ to somebody, that's intimidating. But when you take into account that it is not by my might, nor by my power, but by the, by, by the Holy Spirit, we could be transformed and filled and empowered to do that very thing, to be Christ to somebody else, to show them love, to show them grace, to show them mercy, and to show them a way where they could be liberated from sin and death in their life. Part of that is just by our testimony. I don't know about you, but before I came to really having my life being delivered by God, I was in a terrible place. Couldn't do anything. I was paralyzed. But finally, when I submitted my life over to Christ and I finally had that deliverance and that breakthrough, it wasn't anything that I did. Believe me, I tried. I couldn't do it. But when I finally had that power where the Holy Spirit came on the inside of me, and started to change and work on things in my own life, that it was only then that I was able to do things that I never were able to do before. This is a Pentecostal church. We're assemblies of God. We believe in being filled with the Holy Spirit. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe in being used by the Holy Spirit to proclaim Christ to other people. Amen? But what does that look like? Some people take a look at Pentecostal power and they think it looks something like this. Oh, oh my Lord. Oh, you okay, big fella? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah? How are you doing? Oh, no, I'm fine. Totally fine. Yeah. Let's see that here. Come on. Oh, no. That's, that's bad. I'm going to have to heal you. Uh, no, I don't know. I'm going to have to heal you. It's healing time. Stay down there. Stay down. Well, it's healing time. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, surround him with your light and grace. Lord, have mercy. The power of Christ compels you. Lord, have mercy. The power of Christ compels you. Oh, no. We have got to pray. Pray. We have got to pray. Pray. We have got to pray to make it through the day. Is that Lindsay Hammer? You're healed, right? I see. I see. No, it's the leading. Well, it's old school in nomine patri, filia spiriti sanctum. Be gone, demon spirit! Be gone! Wow, that's not helping at all. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. 
Oh, Lord, take him up under your wings. Wait, take me where? If you believed, you'd be healed. Do you believe? Believe! Believe! believe. I'm, healed. I'm healed! I'm healed! Oh, it's a miracle! Oh, it it's is! It's a miracle! It is! No, you're not healed. I'm not a doctor, I'm a pastor. Come on, you know what you need? Advil and ice. Come on, check him out. Just see how he's okay. The nasal septum and contra are clear. Yeah. Canoes, kid. Your nose is fine. Come on, let me buy you a Coke. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. All right. Yeah, you know, I did try that stuff. It never works, but, <laughs> but what if it has? Yeah. Wouldn't that be crazy? <laughs> uh, that's ridiculous. There are times where I've watched that clip and I've wondered, why did the movie makers think that they needed to put that in there? Is it possible because they have seen a similar freak show somewhere else and thought, that's just funny enough, i got to put it in my movie. See, we believe in the power of Pentecost. We believe in the Holy Spirit empowering us to do great and miraculous things. But there are times where we've had people come up and They've tried to make it about themselves and tried to, you know, we've had one healing pastor come up and he would bring people up on stage and pray over them. And they will fall under the power and then he would bring them up and show that he could keep on doing it over and over and over and over again. And after a while, I start to wonder, is he just showing off here or is he really trying to point people to Christ? See, if our being filled with the Holy Spirit, if it doesn't point people to Christ, then it's just another fraud. It's just another, um, it's just another counterfeit. See, we, if you if you listen to the last part of that clip, there, what stuck out to me was, um, I've always wanted to try that stuff, but it never works. And, boy, but what if it had? He wanted to be a part of the experience. He wasn't showing much concern for the guy that he just chucked a baseball at his face at 100 miles an hour. Not a, whole lot of, not a whole lot of compassion there. He knew that he had to do something. But first, I'm going to try out this little praying stuff, and hopefully it'll work out, but it never really does. There are a lot of times where we, as Pentecostals, We seek to go and be used in the miraculous. But sometimes we're just looking to be a part of something great instead of really pointing others to Christ and showing His love and His grace and mercy. We need both. And chances are, if we're not faithful in the end of being used to show Him love and mercy, we're not going to be used in the miraculous. So let's take a look at a biblical example of this. Let's turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter, Acts chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John, and said, Look at us. 
And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, entered the temple with, with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. I thought that in order, I'm a very visual person, so I thought in order for us to get a really accurate sense of what is happening, I thought that we would take a look at a diagram at this temple and point out exactly where all of this has taken place. So if you bear with me, I'm going to do something that you probably haven't seen in here before. So... Now, I've practiced this many times. It's a little bit different when I'm looking at all of you. But here we see this entire large building here is the temple. My microphone is acting silly. And you see all these various different gates to get inside here. You see this big or this, this tinier little middle building here that's like a building in a building. This is where they would have their religious instruction or their religious uh, worship. They would go and offer their sacrifices. They would go there to pray. They would uh, they would do all the all the ritualistic worship that they usually would do. It would all take place in this middle building right here. Um, for those of you who are in the overflow, it's where numbers eleven, nine, eight, ten, seven. It's that it's that building right there. So just to give you a, uh, an idea of how large this entire complex is, this middle building right here is about the size of the carrier dome. We all seen the carrier dome. It's like snow globe in the middle of the city there. That's about the size of the carrier dome. So this entire place around it, it's basically like a miniature city. It's pretty big. So as... As we take a look here, this, this front of the building right here is where this beggar would come every single day. He would hitch a ride somewhere, and this is where they would drop him off, is right here at the gate called Beautiful. Now, this huge, wide-open area right here is the Gentiles' courtyard. And right here on the other side is the Gentiles' courtyard as well. The temple would be built so that Gentiles could come to worship as well. But instead of being a place of worship, this is the place where people would go to sell things. Remember Jesus getting mad with the money changers at the temple and flipping over tables and beating the snot out of them? It was in this area here and in this area here. So it was a place of commerce. It was a marketplace. Along this eastern wall here, at the 11th verse of what we just read, it was said Solomon's, depending on your translation, it was either colonnade, portico, 
porch, whatever. But along this eastern wall here, that's where it is. So it's pretty close to here. And what people would do here is they would meet. They would meet other people. They would occasionally have groups that would come and someone would stand up and start teaching. In fact, we see in John chapter 10, verse 23, that Jesus would occasionally stop by here at this very area to preach as well. So if you take a look here, this place here is a place of religious instruct or religious uh, place of worship. And three times out of the day, people would come there to pray. They would come to pray at 9 o'clock in the morning, at 12 noon, and at 3 p.m. There have been times in my life where I've had a hard time praying just once. These people would actually travel to a destination and pray. Three times a day, right here. All around, you have people having, having a marketplace, buying stuff. So people would go over here and buy a chicken and then walk by this guy begging for money and go over here and buy a goat. So why did this guy choose this spot? It's because it's a heavily trafficked area. You can go and hit up a lot of people for money. If you go to various different spots in downtown Syracuse, you will see occasionally people holding signs, either at off-ramps or at various intersections. Why? Because a lot of people go through there. It's the same principle here. This guy is in the midst of all of this, and people are walking by him on a daily basis. They knew who he was. There's no denying it. That's the guy that's always there asking for money. So, my question is this. If Jesus has been here before and he's flipping over tables and all that other stuff, he's there teaching over here in this eastern wall at Solomon's porch. If he's been there before, then the disciples have been there before too. Both Peter and John. So, if Peter and John have been there before, and Jesus had given them the ability to heal the sick and to cast out demons, why do you suppose that it has taken them this long to see this guy? You have to understand, in Jerusalem, people went here every single day. Every single day to pray. There's no way that they... That Peter and John have walked by here and this is the first time of them knowing it. There's no way. So why is it that they paid attention to him now and not before? Why? Because Christ hadn't, Christ hadn't shown him his love and mercy by dying on the cross. They didn't have a proper perspective on exactly what it was that Christ's mission was. See, when you have Pentecostal power and you put it into the perspective of the love of Christ and, being, and using that power to serve other people, you can't help but take a look at a situation and be moved by it. You can't help but decide, I want to be a part of the solution to that problem. Now, I'm going to get down from here because I've, I'm going to fall. <laughs> what amazes me about this passage is that not only was this man healed who has been crippled from birth, been crippled his entire life, he hasn't been able to use his legs, doesn't have strength in him. Not only 
was God able to heal him and make those legs strong? But this man immediately started walking, and not only walking, leaping, dancing, praising God. Now think of a little child. When they first come out of the womb, they don't start walking, do they? Even when they start having strength in their legs after a while of growing and developing, they don't start walking right away. And when they do, it's certainly not jumping, skipping, and praising, is it? They have to learn how to walk. So here we see God not only giving this man the ability and the strength to walk, but somehow he supernaturally touched this person's mind to give them the knowledge to know how to do it. Where he's being able to walk and dance. He didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to learn it. He just stepped up and did it. That's the kind of restoration. That's the kind of power that we have behind our God who he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond what we can ask or think. It would have been enough for this man to have his legs strengthened so that he can learn to walk one day. But that didn't happen. God's restoration worked in such a powerful way that not only did he have his legs strengthened and healed, but he walked right then and there. That's the kind of power that we can expect from our God. That's the kind of power we can expect when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And it is, there are times when we walk through our life and we try, to be, uh, we try to be a blessing to others. If we don't have that expectation that God can heal right then and there, that God can raise somebody from the dead, if we don't have that kind of faith that God can do that, then we are falling short. We are missing out. There is plenty of us who have been in a situation where we could ask for someone to be healed, but in our mind we play that game. What if it doesn't happen? We play that game. Well, that's not up for me. If you are a follower of Christ, God is asking you today, are you Are you trusting in me completely? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? And do you truly believe that I can use you to do these things? The other is true as well. If we we go about and we expect God to uh, to heal and we expect God to use us in a miraculous way, And we go through and we're praying and we're asking God to do things and we're doing all these things. But we don't have love in our heart. Don't. If we don't have love in our heart and and we're not looking at it for, for the aspect of being a blessing to other people, we're missing it. We're missing it. I'm reminded of that verse in Corinthians. Where if we say that we proclaim God and we expect to to move mountains and we expect to pray in tongues and be filled with the Holy Spirit and all that, but if we don't have love, it's just a bunch of noise. It probably looks something like this. (laughs) 
is a sick and fallen side to me that wants to try that someday. How many people... (laughs) How many people was that man connecting with throughout the entire time? None. He's there barking. People are looking like, what is he barking at? Is he really barking? Who does that? Why is he barking? I think there are times where we can communicate to people that God is a powerful God who can do anything. But if we're not showing them that He is a God that desperately loves them and is wanting to rescue them from their life of sin and death, then all it is is just a bunch of barking. All it is is just some guy saying a bunch of stuff. It doesn't meet them. It doesn't connect with where they're at. We have a, we have a responsibility today. Where we, where we are, um, we can expect to be used to proclaim the love of Christ to other people. To be used in the gifts of the Spirit. God is calling us to do that today. There's a, there's a passage in Ephesians. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. It goes on to say that you were once in darkness But now that you have Christ, walk in the light. And then it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Greek, in the Greek, the tense, being filled, is a sense of being filled over and over and over again, maintaining the level of when you first became filled. Let me ask you today, have you been continuously filled? Are you at that point where you are able to pour yourself out like you once did before? We have light living on the inside of us. Light to set people free. Light to show in a very dark place. Let's, let's look at this one last clip before we... deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were all meant to shine as children do. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same as we are liberated from our own fear. Our presence automatically liberates others. Sir, I just want to say thank you. You saved my life. Can I have the worship team come up? You know, there are times where I used to be afraid to step out and do things for God and to step out in ministry. And I was afraid to do it because I didn't, uh, 
One, I didn't think I was able or worthy to do it. I would, I would constantly remind myself that I don't have the power to do it. And then I realized that there is power on the inside of me to accomplish great and marvelous things because it is God who is doing it. But I was still afraid because what I was being called to do was something that was so monumental and so important that I was afraid to just jump in. Today, it may be intimidating for you to ask yourselves the question, what is it that God wants me to do right now and to jump into today? It may be intimidating because you know that you're taking steps that you have never taken before. You know that there is something huge about what you are being called to. But there's nothing enlightened by us shrinking back because we realize that what we're being called to do is something that is so big and monumental. We have light on the inside of us. And we are called to be that light to other people. Just by our presence being there can liberate other people. Why? Is it because of us? No but because we have Christ on the inside of us. And with us being filled with the Holy Spirit and having that love of Christ, it is impossible for those to see us and not be affected. It's impossible. So what is our response today? Do you have your life have you decided to make your life count so that other lives could be changed? Is that your decision today? Where you say, I want my life to count for something. I want others to come to know to Christ. I want to be used by the Holy Spirit. Because that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed together as a church. That's where I'm headed individually. And that's where I would like you guys to join with me so that we together can build each other up and to be a part of something where we can reach the city of Syracuse, we can reach the state of New York, and we can reach the ends of the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that other people can be saved and be delivered from the bondage that they are currently in right now. That's our goal. That's our mission. Christ is calling us to that right now. We talked about being used in the miraculous and being used in the natural. And that the Spirit enables us to do both. 